Zechariah 8, 18 to 23. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth months will become joy, gladness, and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. So love, truth, and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, It will yet be that peoples will come, even the inhabitants of many cities, and the inhabitants of one will go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord, and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will also go. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem, and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every language will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Amen. Last time in our study of this paragraph, we were able to complete verses 18 and 19. Now we are on verses 20 to 23. In 18 and 19, there is a transition, a transition from mourning to celebrating, a transition from fasting to feasting. And the reason for this is the blessing of God. But also, the secondary cause of it is the faithfulness of men, their faith in God, their faith in the truth, their faith in the gospel. In the previous paragraph, In verses 16 and 17, he exhorted them to speak the truth and judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. And he repeats that in verse 19. So love truth and peace. Those who know the Lord are characterized by loving the truth, the truth of God's word, everything that's true in the world that God has ordained, and also peace. Peace between men and God and peace among each other with each other, man to man. This is what the true believer pursues, those who believe in the gospel. Having said that, now he explains what will happen as a result of them loving truth and peace. What will happen as a result of them loving truth and peace? Verses 20 to 23 explain. And this verse 20 begins again with, Another expression, thus says the Lord of hosts. This is the declaration formula, declaring that this is God's word, not man's word. We will see that once more in verse 23. Three times in this paragraph, or four times, 18, 19, 20, and 23. The content of this word, starting in 18, is emphasized in verses 19, 20, and 23, with a reiteration that it is God's word, not man's. So we should look at it not as the word of men, but as the word of God, even if what it says is incredible to our ears, even though we don't see it with our own eyes, but we should believe it in faith, because faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. All right, now, verse 20, what is it? It will yet be that peoples will come, even the inhabitants of many cities. Peoples, inhabitants of many cities. These are foreign cities. We know they are foreign because in verse 22, he mentions the nations. And in verse 23, 10 men from the nations of every language, which means it's not... Jews, because they are, in verse 23, grasping, grabbing the garment of a Jew. This is clearly foreigners or Gentiles, the peoples or the nations of the world. There is a turnabout. Because of the faithfulness of the people of God among the Jews, verse 19, and previous to this, now the result that when they love each other and they do what's right, they believe the truth, they follow the Lord, the gospel, then what is the result? Other nations will join themselves to the Jews. That's what he's saying in verse 20, that the peoples will come, the inhabitants of many cities. And he means 
worldwide. And what will they do? Verse 21, The inhabitants of one will go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will also go. Here they exhort each other to go, to join hands and go together. And what are they, uh, or how quickly are they doing it? It says, at once. They are very eager, very zealous to do what's right because they have heard of the Lord and now they want to know the Lord. And not only do they want to know the Lord, this instant, quick desire, zealous desire to know the Lord is described in two ways in verse 21. These two ways are repeated in verse 22 in the opposite order. First in 21, to entreat the favor of the Lord. And the same is said in verse 22, to entreat the favor of the Lord. And also, to seek the Lord of hosts. The same is said in 22, mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts. What does it mean to entreat? To entreat means to pray, to petition, or to plea. To plea with the Lord for the Lord's favor or the Lord's grace. Essentially, to entreat means to pray. And then in verse 21, to seek. To seek the Lord. What does it mean to seek? Essentially, it means to seek Him by His word to follow Him and to pursue Him, seek Him, to know Him by His Word, to know His will, to know His wisdom on how to live, first on how to be saved and then how to live after one is saved. To entreat means to pray and to seek means to seek Him by His Word or in His Word. And not only are they being exhorted or is one one inhabitant or some inhabitants of one city saying it, they agree, I will also go. All of them are eager to go together. So what will happen? Verse 22, so many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Many peoples and mighty nations, not just a few surrounding nations, but many peoples from many nations all around the world. And they're not weak nations necessarily. They are mighty nations, large nations, numerous nations, nations with maybe even military might or economic might. They are strong nations. But these people from the strong, mighty nations, they're not trusting in their own strength their own wisdom, they have heard of the Lord, and now they have come to seek the Lord. They are forsaking their past, forsaking their traditions, forsaking their idolatry and immorality, and seeking the Lord. They know to come to Jerusalem. It says there in 22, in Jerusalem, because that is the capital city of the Jews. It was the capital city for many, many years, from the time of David in 2 Samuel chapter 5, from 2 Samuel 5, 1000 BC, to this period, about 520 BC, to Zechariah's time. It was the capital, except, of course, during the period of exile. Even then, it was well known that Jerusalem used to be the capital of the Judean kingdom. And now again, Jerusalem will be the center Remember, he is speaking of this in the future, future tense. Verse 20, it will yet be. Verse 21, one will go to another and say, let us go. Verse 22, nations will come, mighty nations will come. And in 23, the 10 men from the nations of every language will grasp the garment of a Jew will grasp and say, let us go, for we have heard that God is with you. This is yet future, future to Zechariah. But when is this fulfilled? We'll see that this is fulfilled between the first and second comings of Christ. Then 
Verse 23, we have another declaration, thus says the Lord of hosts, to remind us that this incredible event or events will occur. In those days, there we have it. All of the future tense verbs are climaxed here in verse 23, in those days. When the prophets say, in those days, after those days, a day is coming, the day is coming, the day of the Lord will come, or in those days, or at that time. These are the various and many expressions of the prophets which indicate the period between the first and second comings of Christ. And that's what he says here, in those days. Even though it's not happening in Zechariah's day, it will happen, yet future. That ten men from the nations of every language will grasp the garment of a Jew. Ten men from the nations of every language. Now he's more distinct when he says, and, and distinct in terms of the language and the nations, the nations of every language. This is very clearly a reference to the peoples of the world and not to the Jews. And this will remind us of what happened in the book of Genesis when there was one language and then the peoples were dispersed and scattered and became many languages. But now the reverse is happening. The men of every language will join forces with the Jews. Also, when it says 10 men, this is an expression of a large and numerous, complete, definite number. Definite number, but indefinite in that it's not saying merely 10 men will do this, but it's a figure of speech to say a large number and a complete number, a full number, will grasp the garment of a Jew. Because the Jews who were dispersed in the time of the first coming of Christ, they had already been dispersed. They were dispersed in the time of Zechariah and even before under the conquest of the Assyrians. When the Jews were dispersed or scattered across the world outside of the land of Canaan or the land of Israel, those Jews knew where their homeland was. And they would have to come whenever the festivals were in place come to Jerusalem, at least the men three times a year would have to come. Not that they only could come, but they were required to come along with others in their family and friends. They could also come to the three annual festivals, but there were other annual festivals for which the Jews were required to attend. So the men of the nations would know to grab the garment of a Jew and say, let me go with you. You know the way. I don't know the way. I have never been to Jerusalem. You know the way, the long distance. So show me the way and I'll go with you because whatever you have and whatever you have discovered, whatever you learned in Jerusalem, I also want to learn. So I'll go with you or we will go with you. And then it says in 23, they will grasp the garment of a Jew. Grasp the garment. Grasping. Grasping is not a casual action. It's a desperate action. It's an intense action to grasp or to gar- grab the garment of a Jew. And it's likely the fringe of the garment because they would wear their tunics and the tunics would be long and there would be fringes and there would be the the cords at the end where it would be a reminder that they are supposed to follow the commandments of the Lord. They would grab that and say, let me go with you. Now this is, of course, figurative, but it's still, if one man knows another, he'll get his attention, shake his hand, put his hand on the shoulder of the other man, get his attention say, listen, I'm eager to go where you're going. And that's the imagery that's being described here. And and then it says, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. They want to go 
because they have heard. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. They heard right here that God is with you. God is with you is just one of the numerous biblical ways of expressing the goodness and favor of God, the presence of God among the people. And this is from Genesis to Revelation. It was the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day where Adam and Eve were. And in Revelation 21 and 22, it describes how God will dwell among them. God will dwell among them and be their God and we shall be his people. This is the longing of the faithful for them to be in the presence of God. And this here it is fulfilled. Okay, now that we have reviewed the the main points of it, let's reiterate and prove some of these points we've just made. We'll start at verse 20. In verse 20, should it be a surprise to the Jews that peoples will come, even the inhabitants of many cities? Should they be surprised that the peoples or the nations of the earth are interested in the gospel? Should they be surprised by the time of Zechariah? No, not at all. In terms of this specifically, we have it in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 17 Genesis 17, 1 to 6, or one. let's read 1 to 8. Genesis 17, 1. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you throughout the generations, for an everlasting covenant." to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. I will be their God. Genesis 18, 18, 16 to 18, 18, 16. Then the men rose up from there and looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then 22, Genesis 22, 18, or 17 and 18. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens, and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. This is repeated to Isaac, Genesis 26, Genesis 26. Verses 3 and 4, 
Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. And I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and I will give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Then we also go to Genesis chapter 28, where this is repeated to Jacob. Genesis chapter 28. 28, 14, or 28, 13 and 14. 28, 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Your descendants shall also be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Well, we have to ask, how is it that all the nations of the earth shall be blessed This is clearly, in Zechariah, a fulfillment of the Abrahamic promises. And the answer is given in Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, 6 to 9. Galatians 3, 6. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith that are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer." And in, Gen- in Galatians 3, 8, he's quoting Genesis 12, 3. All the nations shall be blessed in you. But we still have to ask, in what way are they blessed in Abraham? Why in Abraham? Galatians 3, 16. 3, 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. The way the nations of the earth are blessed in Abraham, or in Abraham's descendants, has to do with his one descendant, Christ. Matthew 1.1 calls Christ the son of Abraham and the son of David. Matthew 1.1. And here, the seed or descendant of Abraham is clearly Christ. Also notice in 3.16, it's a point that's not often made. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham, correct? We just read a few of those promises to Abraham. That is, the Lord announced them to Abraham. But it also says here, and to his seed. It doesn't say, and concerning his seed, and related to his seed, and in respect to his seed, or to Abraham in his seed. It says to his seed. Why does it say to his seed? Because the seed is Christ. And this means before the foundation of the world, the Father and the Son had the covenant of redemption to save us through Abraham's single descendant. Second Timothy 1.9 says, His eternal purpose in Christ Jesus from all eternity. And when would it be that God said the words in Psalm 2, verse 7. The Lord said to me, in Psalm 2, verse 7, Who is the me? The me is Christ. And he said to me, 
You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And even the son is saying, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. Well, when was that decree made? Before the foundation of the earth. According to 2 Timothy 1.9, Revelation 13.8, 17.8, the lamb who was slain, and he is slain for those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. So this decree to save sinners, to save the elect in Christ before the foundation. That's what's being fulfilled in Zechariah. All the promises to Abraham and to his seed that the many peoples will come to pray and seek the Lord through His Word. Pray to the Lord and seek the Lord. Which are the twin... Let's return now to Zechariah. Zechariah 8, 21. These are the, the twin basic essential activities or duties of a Christian. Are they not? They are to pray and to know His Word. These are the two, the Word of God and prayer. Just like it was explained in the book of Acts, chapter 6, 1 to 4, that the apostles wanted to devote themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word, and that but thereby model that for the rest of the people, that they are supposed to pray and seek the Lord. And so, first, to entreat, this verb to entreat. To entreat means to make a plea or to plea. And this word we see also, it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. 1 Timothy 2, 1. First of all, then, I urge that in treaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men. Entreaties and prayers. An entreaty is a plea. To plea, plead with God for God's mercy and goodness in our life. That's what prayer is. Um, Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, 18 to 20. Ephesians 6, 18. Remember, Zechariah said that they're going to say this at once. So this eagerness is in them. And we see a bit of this eagerness right here in Ephesians 6, 18. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. This prayer and petition is to pray at all times in the Spirit with perseverance and petition for all the saints. We see this as well in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. So they want to entreat the favor of the Lord, which is right and good. They also want to seek the Lord of hosts. They want to seek Him. In Ezra 7, Ezra 7 verse 10, it describes what Ezra did to seek the Lord. Ezra 7.10 For Ezra had set his heart to study 
The NASB translates it, study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Ezra 7.10. In your margin, you may have a note that says that the verb to study is literally the verb to seek. For Ezra had set his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to seek it rendered to study it, practice it, and then to teach it. We find this exemplified in the Bereans. Acts 17, 10 and 11. Acts 17, 10 and 11. And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Receive the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily. That is a synonym of seeking or studying the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Now, what about this phrase, let us go at once? We already saw that the verbs to entreat and to seek have an intensification to them, correct? To entreat, it's not simply to ask, and then to seek, it's not simply to seek. Seeking is more intense than seeing. Entreating is more intense than asking, correct? But also he described it as, let us go at once. At once. No delay. There's no delay. They want to do God's will immediately. They want to do God's will quickly. Not casually but quickly. Well, in first, first Corinthians 15, first Corinthians 15, 58, first Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. And everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. But I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. And Romans 12, Romans 12, 9 to 13, Romans 12, 9 to 13. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints. Practicing hospitality. And then we see this in relation specifically to the Word of God. In 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2, 1-3. 1 Peter 2, 1. Therefore, putting aside 
all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Setting aside all deceit, all lies, we carry on like newborn infants who long for the pure milk of the word. Newborn infants, they want more and more milk, correct? They are eager for it. They seek after it. And it must be supplied quickly once they begin crying. And it's time to feed them, right? So that's the same way in which we should be longing for God or seeking for God, seeking for Him through His Word, to know Him in that way, correctly. All right, now, in verse 22, Zechariah 8.22, it says that many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem, the mighty nations to seek the Lord in Jerusalem. We see this in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, 2, 5. Acts 2, we'll read 5 to 11. 2, 5 to 11. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and marveled, saying, Why, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. This happened on the day of Pentecost because the day of Pentecost was one of those annual feasts where the people were required to attend, especially the men were required to attend. Now, it says that there were Jews, not only residents of Jerusalem there in Jerusalem, but the residents of all of these foreign nations, citizens of foreign nations, the Jews, correct? And in verse 10, it says proselytes. Proselyte. The term proselyte means convert. And a convert would mean somebody from a Gentilic background, somebody who was from Italy, from Spain, somebody from Egypt, someone else from Syria, from Mesopotamia, all of these different places around the world, correct? That's saying that they tagged along with Jews because they converted and they wanted to go to Jerusalem also, correct? Now, among these, we know that it says in 241, 3,000 souls were saved that day, correct? Do you think all 3,000 souls remained in Jerusalem? Don't you think some of them returned to their homelands? And after they returned to their homelands, they spread the gospel there. And then, for the next festivals, would they not have returned to Jerusalem along with the Jew or along with their friends, the Gentiles, one Gentile with other Gentiles, going back to Jerusalem? Why to Jerusalem? Not only because the temple was still standing and the festivals were still running, but they would also be able to meet the apostles and the other disciples who started preaching the gospel from Jerusalem. Acts 1.8, doesn't it say that it starts in Jerusalem? 
Acts 1.8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Luke 24.46-47 also says, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. So it starts from Jerusalem, and when it spreads throughout the world, the inhabitants of many nations will want to also join with other Jews, believing Jews, to go back to Jerusalem to learn from the apostles and the other disciples in Jerusalem. Not that all the apostles stayed in Jerusalem all the time, but that was their headquarters for a long time. And then when it says peoples and mighty nations will come, don't we read in Acts chapter 8 of the Ethiopian eunuch who was a court official of, the, of Queen Candace of the Ethiopians? Right? Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 13, wasn't Paul preaching to the proconsul, a diplomat, a politician, right, who believed when he saw, when he saw the, the teaching of the Lord? In Acts 13, 4 to 14? Yes. So there we have examples of men, mighty men, believing in the Lord. Also, we see in Luke 1, 1 to 4, Luke addresses the book of Luke to Theophilus, and he calls Theophilus most, most excellent Theophilus, which would mean it, that Theophilus was a politician, a governmental official. So he would have been considered one of the mighty men of the day. Most excellent is used in Acts 23, 26 of the governor Felix. It says, Claudius Lysias to the most excellent governor Felix. Greetings. Acts 23:26 and it's also done in 24 verse 3 most excellent Felix 24 verse 3 and in 26:25 but Paul said I am not out of my mind most excellent Festus but I utter words of sober truth. All of those in the book of Acts are politicians or governmental officials, strong men, mighty men, influential men. And though it doesn't say that those other ones later in the book of Acts believed, Luke does address his to Theophilus, presumably a governmental official who believed. That's equivalent, the expression most... Excellent is equivalent to the way we in English say honorable or most honorable and then address the, the judge or the senator representative like that. Okay, so this is a fulfillment that takes place after the coming of Christ. After the coming of Christ. But... At the time, should they have been surprised by it? We already saw from Genesis, they shouldn't be surprised that nations are seeking the Lord, right? We shouldn't be surprised. But should they be surprised that God would use Jerusalem as the center of it all? Should that be a surprise to them? No. Isaiah, the book of Isaiah... He explains this in Isaiah 2, 1 to 4, which has a parallel in Micah 4, 1 to 3. Isaiah 2, 1 to 4 equals Micah 4, 1 to 3. 
the word which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about that in the last days, there we have the last days, which if we cross-reference this last days, the same phrase is used in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, where it says, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. Hebrews 1, 1 to 2. In the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. Why? Because they're at peace with each other, so they're not going to seek to kill each other. They go to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is the source for the word of the Lord, according to Isaiah. This should not have surprised any of the Jews. Now we come to verse 23. Verse 23, Zechariah 8:23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days, ten men from the nations of every language will grasp the garment of a Jew. Ten men. We said that this is a figure of speech. Let's see this to be the case in Genesis 31. Genesis 31, 7. Genesis 31, 7. Seven. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. However, God did not allow him to hurt me. It doesn't actually record that Laban did it to Jacob literally ten times in the previous narrative. Though that might be literal, he might just be using a figure of speech to say a lot of times, a definite large number of times, 10 times. Also in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 14. Numbers 14, 22. We may start at verse 20. Numbers 14, 20. So the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word, but indeed, as I live, All the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. That's Numbers 14, 20 to 23. So a symbol of a large number, most likely. Large number of men. Further in Zechariah, he says, men from the nations of every language. Well, these expressions, nations and every language, or each language, these are taken from Genesis chapter 10, verse 20 and 31. Genesis 10 describes how the sons of Noah became dispersed nations, scattered or dispersed nations. 10.20, these are the sons of Ham, according to their families, according to their languages, by their lands, by their nations. There we have those two terms, languages and nations. Also in 31, these are the sons of Shem, according to their families, according to their languages, by their lands, according to their nations. The sons of Noah were dispersed or scattered like this. The scattering 
And the division is described in chapter 10, but the reason for it is described in chapter 11 of Genesis, 11, 1 to 9. Because they, at one point, 11, 1, now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. At one point, that's, or at one long period of time, the whole earth used the same language. But that changed. What changed? The Tower of Babel, and God scattered them. It says in verse, let's begin at verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Well, the judgment for sin was the division of languages causing the division of the people. But when God redeems, then the peoples, though they are divided by language, they will overcome that division by speaking to one another in unison. We see this also in Zephaniah. Zephaniah 3 8. Zephaniah 3 8. 3 8 to 13. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to the prey or for a witness. Indeed, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. That's punishment, but redemption in nine. For then I will give to the peoples purified lips, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder. He will give them purified lips. All of them call on the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder. To serve means to worship him together, shoulder to shoulder. From where? From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, my dispersed ones, will bring my offerings. In that day you will feel no shame because of all your deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proud, exulting ones, and you will never again be haughty on my holy mountain. But I will leave among you a humble and lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong and tell no lies, nor will a deceitful tongue be found in their mouths. For they shall feed and lie down with no one to make them tremble. Is this not what we see also? Not only do we see it happen or manifested on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, where God begins to bring the peoples together so that they understand each other and worship together, right? But finally, this will happen in Revelation chapter 7. When we say finally, we mean in heaven, not that this is the last time something like this is mentioned. Revelation 7, 9. 7, 9 to 10. After these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We also see their eagerness in verse 23 by grasping the garment of a Jew. 
Here again, the prophet describes their diligence. He's been emphasizing their diligence, their eagerness in verses 21 to 23. Grasp the garment of a Jew. This verb to grasp or to take hold of, to grab, is used of different objects, such as in Exodus 4.4, But the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That is Moses grabbing the snake by the tail. He had to grasp it, which means he had to seize it very quickly. Um, Also, in the case of Saul with Samuel, Saul and Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15, 15, 27. You remember that Saul, he sinned against the Lord by not carrying out God's command against the Amalekites. Samuel the prophet confronted him and is threatening to walk away from him. And this is what happens. Verse 27. And as Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. Because Saul is desperate. He needs the favor of God through the prophet Samuel. He's very desperate. And that's why when Samuel was leaving, after he presented the judgment, he was leaving. Saul didn't want him to leave. And he seized or grabbed the edge of his robe. That's the same concept here. And one more place. This is David and what he says he did. In 1 Samuel 17, 1 Samuel 17, it's verse 35. We'll start at 34. 1 Samuel 17, 34 to 35. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. This is David when he says, I seized him, seized the the lion or the bear by his beard and struck him and killed him. All right, that's the intensity. This is the way true believers behave. They have this great zeal, diligence, intensity, fervor, to know the will of God and to do the will of God, to be with the people of God, to assemble with them and to serve the Lord. And lastly, we say, we saw, it says in verse 23, for we have heard that God is with you. We have heard that God is with you. This is the longing of every true believer to be with God, right? To walk with God on the earth and ultimately to be with God. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 Corinthians 6, 16, 6, 16. Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them, and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And we find this in Philippians. While we're living on the earth, and God is walking among us, what do we desire even more than God among us now? Philippians 1, 21 to 24. Philippians 1, 21 to 24. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. 
The apostle says dying is gain. He doesn't know what to choose, to die or to keep living. He's hard-pressed, verse 23. But he has the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Being with Christ is better than being with Christ on the earth, though that's better than not having Christ at all. Revelation 21, Revelation 21. 21, 1 to 8. 21, 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death, there shall no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. God is with us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, now and forever. And this is what we all long for. Jew and Gentile, together. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.